Hello and welcome. Thank you for downloading this week's Sermon and Prayers of Intercession from the English Reformed Church Amsterdam. We hope you will enjoy what you are about to hear and that you will be blessed. That uh, hymn doesn't just speak about prayer. It speaks about something underneath that, which is that we've got access to God. We can communicate with God and He with us. And not just special people, but anyone can turn to God and find that access, that openness. And it's that that briefly in a few minutes I want to explain from this section of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Because the term mystery, mysterion, runs throughout this passage. Again and again, we find it cropping up. It fits with our theme, of course, of epiphany, because an epiphany is a manifestation of something, an expression of something, an appearance. And in this case, what is appearing, what is being revealed is a mystery. It really grabs our attention. In, uh, in our house, we find it hard to resist a good mystery on uh, Netflix or the BBC or wherever it is. We love a mystery. Paul says, a mystery has been made known to him about Jesus. No one has really understood this because, well, it's been hidden. Down through the ages, verse 9 tells us that. But those who listen will come and will discover something amazing, something wonderful about access to God, about communication with God, about closeness to God. Traditional mysteries often follow a a set form. The classic uh, mysteries maybe are set in some uh, country house, maybe in Scotland, down in a windy lane in Perthshire or somewhere. And a small cast of characters is usually gathered together there. There's usually an elderly widow, uh, a servant who has peculiar habits and probably a peculiar walk uh, uh, as well, and a distant relative who's, who's shown up um, uh, rather oddly. Where's he come from? And the event behind this is usually a, a, a tragic death which turns out in the end to be murder. So there's a detective who's usually not very competent, a detective investigating the case. He finds that there's intrigue going on over who is to inherit a fortune, the fortune of the person that's been killed. The clues in the case are gathered together. Police are confused, though, and they they follow the wrong track, but eventually... The master detective solves the case and shows how the pieces of the story fit together. In the final pages, the mystery is solved and the good people usually get good things. The meaning is made known and that's it. But the mystery that Paul describes is rather different from the ones that we're used to. For a start, the heart of it is not, the story, is not something tragic like 
murder or theft, at least not a normal kind of murder, but something magnificent, a, a gift, a wonderful gift. And it is, though, an inheritance case. Paul's speaking about the Gentiles coming into the inheritance of salvation, coming to that access of prayer, access to God that we were singing about a few minutes ago. In a typical mystery story, one of the heirs to the, to the, to the estate usually hatches a plot to get the whole inheritance for himself. The idea is to exclude others from the gift so that one person, well, him, can ha- he can have it all. But in Ephesians, the story is, the mystery is revealed. The inheritance is for all of us. For all of us. And what's so strange, and we need to understand it from Paul's point of view and from those listening to Paul, what's so strange is that God has written a whole new group of people into his will. Looked at this from 2,000 years on, it's, um, it's less strange than it was for people listening to Paul and listening to this letter. But a whole group of people have been written into the will now. And it doesn't shortchange the people who were, going to receive, uh, the, the, who were going to receive the riches before because the riches are endless. They go on forever. And in this case, the mystery is the mystery of grace, of access to God. And Paul doesn't just work with this wee group of, uh, of people in some tiny little house. He's got a a cosmic kind of panorama of people involved in this. This is a story that has to do with all these people called Gentiles. The whole world. Now, what we need to understand here is that the Gentiles were an extremely unlikely group of people to be receiving an inheritance from God or to be given an access to God. Because Gentiles were people, by definition, who worshipped other gods. Most of the Romans hated the Jews because the Jews only worshipped one god. But the Jews had a a fear and a loathing for Gentiles because they worshipped other gods. They thought nothing of the God of Israel. So Paul's message that these people were now welcome, were now being included in God's people, was so offensive to the Jews of Paul's day that they had him arrested for saying it. And he says that in the very beginning of chapter 3. This is the reason why I'm now in prison, because I've dared to say this. And it was profoundly offensive to Jews of Paul's day. But what Paul's saying is that But we're all separated from God by sin. Whether it's what we've said, what we've thought, what we've done. So Jew, Gentile, whatever, we're in the same place before God. And we have the same need of grace. 
And thirdly, this means that the revelation of the mystery is not the end of the story. It creates a whole new beginning for you and for me. The usual pattern is that once the mystery is revealed, we can close the book because the, the case is solved. We know who done it. But for Paul, the revelation of the mystery is just the beginning of things. Just the beginning. If, if God has extended the promise of an inheritance to the Gentiles, well, well, what does that mean? It opens up this whole new chapter, this vast new chapter. And Paul is in the business of starting writing it of speaking that word, that truth, offering that grace, revealing that mystery to those who now knew nothing of it. Now, as I say, many Jews found this idea horrible, revolting. If you study Jesus' life and ministry, he upset people for much the same reason. He welcomed the lost sheep, you remember. He welcomed the leper, the sinful woman, the, the prodigal son. Jesus' life enacted in its access, in its openness to God, in its revelation that this is who God is. Jesus' life enacted the plan that Paul discovered later on to be absolutely central to the gospel. God is welcoming those who had previously been excluded. So, what does that say to us today? Because boldly like that, it's, it's kind of theology, but not a lot more. Well, I think very powerfully, it urges us to welcome those who, because of their culture, because of their income, because of their religious background or skin color or language or sexuality or gender or age or disability, are despised or treated as of lesser worth. The church is called to welcome. And if I'm not mistaken, at the top of our sheets, it says, within these walls, let no one be a stranger. As if it's a motto for us. Oh, what a wonderful motto it is to have. It's important not just for politically correct reasons that we're all of us familiar with these days, but for the deeper purpose. Here, in a few days after Christmas, today's Epiphany, the celebration of the incarnation of Christmas, speaks about God in man, in Jesus. God in humankind, in human form. Emmanuel, God with us here today. And that celebration of God with us flows into the celebration of the church, for we are God's people, God's presence in the world. So as we exhibit unity, 
as we welcome races and classes and colors and genders and income groups, as we welcome them, we are doing something godly and profoundly powerful in the midst of a world and indeed of a city that is not always like that. And finally, this is finally, finally, the great worship expression of that unity is communion. The word speaks of coming together in unity with God and with one another. It's fundamentally about human dignity, about knowing that we have a friend in Jesus with whom we can stand before God, knowing that we are forgiven sinners. And as such, we're empowered by love to welcome others into that same church and to be the people that God has called us to be. May that thought remain with us as we share together in communion in a few minutes. Let's pause for a moment of reflection. Almighty God, we thank you that you have welcomed us into the communion of your saints, welcomed us by faith into the body of your church, welcomed us by love into your family. So today, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we share together our concerns for your world, the world of which you make us stewards. We pray, Father, for peace in this broken world, for peace in war zones, for peace where there is conflict of any kind, for peace and justice where there is unfairness, hunger and pain, things that lead to war. Father, we pray for our land and we pray for those in government, nationally and locally. We pray, Lord, for wisdom for those who make these decisions. We pray, Lord, for a concern for each and every person living in this country. That grace and peace and fairness may guide each of our leaders. We pray, Lord, for the United Kingdom, struggling as it is at the moment with Brexit and all the divisions that that has thrown up. We pray, Lord, for an end to the political stalemate. We pray, Lord, for clarity, for a clear vision of the way forward. We pray, Lord, for leadership and for unity in the country. Father, we pray for our families, 
We pray for children and uncles and aunts. We pray, Lord, for all those who are close to us at this time. And we pray, Father, for the sick. May your healing hand be upon them. And Father, we pray for those who are dying, that your grace and your presence may give them comfort and hope for an eternal future. And for those who've been bereaved, Lord, we pray for comfort and calm and the knowledge of your closeness to them. And here as fathers, we pray our own prayers for those people, those situations for which we have a burden. Hear us, Lord, as we pray. Gracious God, we give you glory, we give you our thanks and praise for all that you do and for all that you have done. In Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.